Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey everyone, it's Pacific. If you like the show and you like what we do, consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. It's the best way to help our show reach new listeners. And if you really, really like the show, consider becoming a member. For just $5 a month, you can get early and ad-free access to not only Out of Place, but other Midnight Disease shows like The Theater of Tomorrow, The Hotel, and, arriving next week, Margaret's Garden. All this and much, much more at midnightdisease.net slash join. And without further ado, this week's episode... I had some warning that a delivery from the project was going to turn up today. A couple of hours before lunch, I got a call from Miss Arundel that a delivery was coming in by the freight elevator again and they would probably need my help unloading it. I had a good 45 minutes to fret about what was going to turn up. It had been an ordinary morning until then. Seeing Lola off at school, which is the new normal, I suppose, kissing Mike goodbye and packing some sandwiches for lunch. I'm trying to wean myself off the pre-packaged ones from the shop down the road. We'll see how long that lasts. All very mundane compared to dealing with the things I get from the project. Odd that I'm starting to crave a more boring life. Perhaps that's what getting older is. This delivery was huge, the biggest yet. There were two men with a van, both Polish, I think, and together we manoeuvred this gigantic heavy object through the back doors and onto the elevator. It was on a pallet with a trolley thing to lift it and move it around. They were quite cheerful, considering. I hope their lives are predictable and dull. 
The object was irregularly shaped and wrapped in a tarpaulin, strapped into place by these fabric ties with metal fasteners, and it weighed an absolute ton. Thankfully, the basement floor is concrete, so it didn't plunge through to some long-forgotten lower level. It took me a while to work out how to undo the fasteners, and another good hour after that to unwrap it all. I understood right away why it was so heavy, because it was a statue, made of bronze. The verdigris hadn't yet covered it in that greenish patina. As I uncovered it, I saw it was of a man. The upper third or so of a man, at least, presuming it was originally full length. It had been cut at an angle from the lower right ribcage to just below the left arm. It was way bigger than life-size, the kind of thing that stood triumphant on a tall column. I suppose I should have been grateful the project hadn't sent the entire thing. That wouldn't have even fit in the basement. The statue was of an officer in a military uniform and carried a flag which hung over his shoulder. His face was long and stern, deeply lined with a small, tight mouth and staring eyes. There was an element of stylization to it which I figured was so the character would be apparent even if the face was viewed from far below. The lower corner of the flag was cut off but most of it was intact and the folds hung so the embossed design was mostly visible. It wasn't a flag I recognised. It didn't all look that peculiar at first glance, as far as such things go. A triumphalist, po-faced celebration of military tradition. I expect there are thousands of statues like it, everywhere the need is felt to remind the population the military is in charge. The project must have had a good reason to send it to me, though. If only because delivering the thing must have cost a bomb. I started with the uniform. I think it's a United States Army three-star general. I can't be 100% sure because everything to do with the military is as confusing and arcane as possible, so outsiders like me can never really understand it all. The chest had a mass of ribbons and half a dozen badges and emblems. One of them caught my eye, just above the name badge over the right breast pocket that read McVeigh. It was a dagger over a pair of crossed arrows with a scroll beneath it with the words... De oppresso liber. It means, from oppression we shall liberate them, and it's the motto of the Green Berets. The United States Army Special Forces troops are commonly called Green Berets. Some people call them snake eaters too, although usually only once. Technically, only the Green Berets are Special Forces. Navy SEALs, Air Force pararescue guys and so on are supposed to be called Special Operators instead, which is just another one of those word traps to trip up people who aren't in the Special Military Club. The Green Berets are the guys riding around on horses in Afghanistan and bumping off terrorist cells in the Middle East. There's a weird sort of fetish about them. The sexy military toys they get, the tactical beards they grow in the desert, the video games about them, the movies... There was a god-awful song about them released during the Vietnam War about how they're true patriots unlike all the pinko draft dodgers. The statue's flag was the next thing. Along the top were the words Republic of Arizona and below that a star surrounded by rays like the image of a sunrise. Aside from the words, the design looked the same as the state flag of Arizona. It was around this time I learned that American states have their own flags. That was my first hint something was indeed wrong. 
Arizona isn't a republic. It's a state of the US, not its own country. The second thing was the link between the Green Berets and the name McVeigh. Timothy McVeigh tried out for the Green Berets in about 1991. He was a combat veteran in Iraq and was supposed to be one of the best shots around. But coming off an exhausting tour of duty, he failed the selection process and quit the army. Four years later, he detonated a truck bomb outside the Alfred P. Murrah building in Oklahoma City and killed 168 people. McVeigh hated the government. He was always a right-winger who thought the feds were trying to take away his guns and deny his God-given liberties. In Iraq, he really came to despise them, which is maybe understandable given they'd sent him to a foreign country to kill people he had no quarrel with. What is less understandable is thinking the solution was to kill even more people. McVeigh was a bitter loner who managed to find a couple of other bitter loners, and together with them, he built a massive fertiliser bomb. He chose the Target building because it housed the offices of the Drug Enforcement Agency, the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco and Firearms, and the Secret Service, organisations he particularly loathed. It also housed a daycare centre. McVeigh was caught almost immediately after the bombing and was executed in 2001, achieving a lifelong ambition of being killed by the state. McVeigh isn't a particularly rare name, admittedly, but how many McVeighs were chosen to try out for Army Special Forces? And what if he'd made it? This statue was from a world in which Timothy McVeigh earned the Green Beret. Instead of a single angry guy who thought he was a militiaman taking up arms against tyrants, he became part of a secret military machine that learned how to kill people in every way there was. Going by the statue he made Lieutenant General and was celebrated for his achievements in a world where Arizona was a republic. For a state to become its own country, it would either have to secede from the Union or the federal government of America would have to fall. America isn't keen on letting their states go. They had a bit of a tiz about it called the Civil War. If there was a coup that toppled the government, it would have to come from the military. Maybe from among those tier one operators, best of the best guys who hammer freedom into every nation they touch like they were planting a flag of conquest. A conspiracy among the people who have dedicated their lives to a muscular, infallible America that doesn't exist. What would happen if enough tough-guy, right-wing patriots decided the government had gone on betraying its people for too long? McVeigh was radicalised by watching the fatal sieges of Ruby Ridge and Waco on the news, and before that disillusioned by the random death of war. And he wasn't the only one. The militia movement was full of people who dreamed of voting with their rifles and defeating the government. But a whole group of well-trained heavily armed people with the same ideology as Timothy McVeigh including a three-star general to lead them maybe they could have actually done it perhaps this statue is from a world where McVeigh's status as a Green Beret kept him from losing his faith and dropping out of the military and saw him sticking it out long enough to reach a high rank once there he helped make a military coup happen Perhaps he was its leader and founded the whole conspiracy, or maybe 
Even worse, the desire was always there and McVeigh's presence pushed it over some critical mass that saw their wish to topple the federal government boil over from wishful thinking into action. Green Beret zip-roping onto the White House lawn, perhaps. An assault rifle pointed at a president who signed the government out of existence. Or just an all-out attack on the organs of democracy that cut the head off the snake and forced each state to start running itself. I don't know quite what it would have looked like, but I'll bet it gave every rifle-toting militiaman a joy boner for the ages. I had these crazy action movie scenes playing out in my head. Guys in tactical gear making hand signals as they clear the White House room by room. Secret service guys in suits fighting soldiers in camouflage. Capitol Hill in flames. Every now and again I see what's so alluring about all the action man special forces stuff. It's the power. Knowing you're stronger than everyone else. Knowing the world around you can be fixed with a gun. That seductive violence. Men stroking guns, yanking triggers and spraying fire, dominating the battlefield and penetrating the target. You don't have to be Freud. Then the militias emerge, storming the seats of local government and flying the flags of an America which only existed previously in their imaginations. Maybe some people fought back. Probably. Most people just looked on bemused as everything changed around them. I have no idea if it played out like that. And maybe the Republic of Arizona came about some other way. But if Timothy McVeigh was one of the motivating forces behind it, enough to have a statue of him put up in military uniforms, there must have been some violence involved. He was a man who talked about the people he killed as acceptable losses, necessary casualties in preventing the greater threat posed by the US government. Violence was the only means of change he believed in. And the Republic of Arizona wasn't the end of the story. After all, I only had part of the statue. The edge where it had been cut was ragged and melted. I guessed some kind of high-temperature torch had been used to cut it apart. Best-case scenario, General McVeigh had fallen out of favour and the statue was cut up for scrap. After all, that would be a lot of bronze. Worst case, it was torn down, like those statues of Saddam Hussein, as the Republic of Arizona collapsed in strife. More chaos and violence. Soldiers were marching through my mind again, on their way to restore the Union or just to decide who was in charge of this new, fractured America. It's the fact there are no definite answers that makes it worse. If I knew where this statue had come from, what had really led to it being set up and pulled down, it would be easier to deal with. Even if it was horrific, I could rationalise it as people being cruel idiots, just like all the other awful things mankind has done. But not knowing makes it so much worse. I think the project knows it too. I had to banish the images of soldiers gunning down people in the streets of Phoenix just so I could work out what to do with this enormous artefact. In the end, I threw the tarpaulin back over it and bound it up as best I could with the fabric straps. It'll just have to stay where it is. There's no way I can move it on my own. 
I'll pile up some boxes around it or set up some shelves in front of it so no one coming into the basement will become curious about what it is. America is a complicated idea. It's the biggest and the strongest, but how fragile is it underneath? Especially if it's the people who make it seem so strong that want to tear it down. The fractures under the surface. The old hatreds that boil up and kill 168 people in a truck bomb blast. The brutal history of intolerance that isn't yet out of living memory. How much would it take to break it all apart? One man with the rank and the motivation, and a willingness to kill to bring down what he sees as the great enemy. And if America really is the last superpower, what would happen to the rest of the world if it was gone? Britain isn't perfect by any means, especially if you look at its history, but there's something more precarious about America. Everything about it is so huge, but the foundations are shallow and rotten. Once we were worried about someone dropping the bomb, but maybe we should have been fretting about whether the supports underneath would collapse and do the bomb's jobs for them. Maybe we're destined to have something to worry about. Humanity just can't function without an existential threat looming over us. Whether it's nuclear war or the militia movements sparking that lake of flammable hatred. Or maybe it's just me. I suspect it is just me. I certainly don't see Mike fretting about society falling apart. Then again, he hasn't stood before the stern glare of Lieutenant General Timothy McVeigh of the Green Berets. At least it's covered up now, so I won't have to anymore either. I'm just not quite as sure that when I wake up tomorrow morning, the land of the free will still be there. Out of Place was created by Ben Counter. Sound design was done by Pacific S. Obdaya. If you like this show, consider checking out other Midnight Disease productions, like The Theater of Tomorrow, The Hotel, Lake Clarity, SCP Archives, and Margaret's Garden. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.